This is Marketing Jam, a show featuring the brightest minds in marketing. Marketing Jam is brought to you by Cyber Impact, the email marketing platform made specifically for Canadian small businesses. Go to cyberimpact.com forward slash jelly, create a free account, and start sending Castle compliant promotional emails in just a few clicks. Hey, welcome back to Marketing Jam. Shahid Devji here. Thank you for joining us. We have a very special guest today. Sibel Negris is the co-founder and CEO of webnames.ca. Sibel, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for You drove me. all the way out to Fort Langley and you said, is it not your first time here or is it your first time here? It's not my first time here. It's absolutely beautiful though. Yeah. It's 24 degrees out. 24 degrees in, in March. We're really lucky yeah. in uh, Vancouver. Um, we usually complain about the weather here in Vancouver. So uh, a nice day. Thanks for joining us. Why don't you mm-hmm. tell our audience about webnames.ca? Um, I, I read on the website mm-hmm. you're, you're called Canada's original domain registrar. Um, and that's you know probably true. You're not just saying that because yeah. that you've been around for 20 plus years and mm-hmm. um, part of your uh, the people who co-founded you is, is a man who, who started the, the .ca registry. So maybe tell our audience what webnames.ca is. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually quite a unique story. Um, so John Demko, who yeah. you're referring to, uh, we call him the godfather of <laughs> .ca. Uh, John actually founded the .ca domain name in 1987. So this was pre-commercialization of the internet. Um, and really, he was involved in one of the first connections between um, US and Canada. Um, he was working at UBC, and he was interested in naming, um, and decided that uh, Canada needed its own domain name. So um, .com came out in 1985, uh, .ca came out in 1987. He wrote a letter to another John, John Postel at the time, um, and he, John Postel ran the organization that basically delegates domain names and IP addresses and said, I think I have the ability to run a dot something for Canada. And they were actually looking at either a .ca or a .cdn. Oh, and yeah. they decided on the .ca, even though they thought maybe it might be a bit confusing right. um, in terms of California. Yeah. Um, but and then he, there's the CAN, which Canada is known as right. in other ways, in yeah, sports yeah. specifically, right? But most of the CC, all the CCTLDs, the country code top level domains um, in the world are two letters. So or, they decided oh, yeah. on the CA. US is one of them, um, yeah. Yeah, and CN now is, is China. Okay. So it's good that they decided on the CA. Was that just coincidence that you decided on that and then everyone else was two letters after the fact? Um, you know what? I don't know that. I should yeah. actually ask him. Yeah. But um, it's, uh, <laughs> I think it was probably a standard right. that was um, becoming more common, so they just stuck with that. Um, so ultimately, he um, ran that registry for 13 years for free. He never charged a single dollar wow. um, for running that registry. So up until about 2000, you could get a .ca name for free. Okay. So I met him in 1999, <laughs> 2000, and um, thought, you know, this guy is absolutely incredible. I was enjoying the story that he was telling. I was doing some contract work in the uh, uh, industry liaison office at uh, UBC at the time. It's called the UILO. Um, I had exited a, a different company, and um, so I heard this story of this guy who had been doing this for free, and I thought, wow, what a, what an amazing person and I sat down with him and was just completely intrigued in what he was doing 
Um, so I went to his office and I could see like stacks of papers <laughs> stacked behind the door thinking, what is he up to? Um, so essentially he um, was taking ironically domain registrations um, manually. So you would have to email him the registration. You would have to fax in documentation to prove who you were. Yeah. And in order to get your .ca domain name, you had to be federally incorporated. So you couldn't actually get your business name .ca unless you were federally incorporated or had multiple offices in more than one province. Um, otherwise, you would have to get your name .bc.ca or .ons.ca. Yeah. And if you were an individual, you would have to get your name .vancouver.bc.ca. Oh, wow. Or... You know, like every city had its own geographical delineation. So that's the way things were set up. And how times have changed. You just need to be a resident of Canada yeah. to, to get a .ca. Exactly. And, or a trademark. You yeah. have to be a trademark owner. Yeah. And, and within minutes now, right? Yeah, absolutely. But we, we started, um, you know, to take registrations online. Um, we built a website. Um, we worked with the tech transfer manager at the time um, at the UILO. Um, brought in somebody to develop the website. He was coding and I, I would be writing the content and we'd get things up and running. And um, then we ended up packing, packaging up the technology and we sold it to the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. Right. So they became the registry yeah. and the wholesaler and then we became one of the accredited registrars. Right. Um, so, so registrars like... GoDaddy and Domain.com and all, there's yeah. so many of them now, Lots but of them. you were you were playing in that space quite early on mm -hmm. in 2000, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that like working in sort of the dot-com boom? Yeah, it was, it was tons of fun. Um, we went from three to 30 people in um, four months and we did two and a half million dollars in our first year of operations. Wow. So that was pretty crazy. And we only sold one product. <laughs> Um, so the growth was tremendous. Um, we had a tiny little office at, um, at UBC at the University of British Columbia and uh, you know people slept in sleeping bags just like we couldn't keep up with the demand because um, the rules for .ca opened up and all this demand, all this pent up demand was there. So um, we basically capitalized on an opportunity that was pretty short lived because then after we realized that you know we've got all these customers with their .ca domain name but what, what do they do yeah. right they can't use it for email they couldn't use it for hosting um and we thought you know we either have to sell um these customers to um another company that had the infrastructure to deliver on these other services or um we would have to build and we well this is 19 years later exactly. we built how long did it take you to come to that realization um, and, and to become what you are today yeah it, it was pretty quick in, in I, I think in in tech you just have to um, build fast and um, initially we partnered and um, you know, we didn't build everything from scratch um, but it was pretty quick in terms of having to um, deliver on those types of services otherwise we would start losing customers right um, but today we have over 800 different domain extensions, not just .ca, um, and then we do um, email, hosting, digital certificates, um, we did uh, web development for a number of years as well. Yeah. So lots of different types of services that are associated with domain names. Yeah, so 
um, John had the foresight to, to you know to create the registry back then. Yeah. But I mean, you, you must have had some sort of inclination that this was the right place to be. Would you would you say that, or did you just kind of happen upon it and and then you know take a take a chance? I mean, what was mm-hmm. your thinking like uh, in 1999 when you when you met him and 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 then sort of taking those next steps to uh, you know you know taking orders online like you said, and and then eventually right. getting to to selling the the registry and starting the company, like what kind of foresight did you have personally? Yeah, so I, I guess you could call me a serial entrepreneur. Okay. I had um, been in the pharmaceuticals business. Um, I was employee number three, and um, we took that through an IPO, um, and then I took an exit a few years later. Um, I then started a construction company, so we were building um, you know luxury homes in the um, West Point Gray area as well as some commercial um, places in downtown Vancouver. So um, I was always looking for opportunity and um, looking for good people that I wanted to work with. And when I met John, um, I realized, number one, um, he had an amazing idea. Um, The fact that he was such a visionary for um, the country and he came from an era of the internet where individuals didn't do things for profit. Um, you know, the, the internet is built on individuals like John who had this foresight and wanted to share knowledge and expertise, and that's really what the internet was built for. Yeah. Um, it was never intent, intended um, to um, you know, sell products and services online or advertising online. Which it feels um, like it's all that it's for right? now, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in this generation, if you were to grow up in this generation, you would have never known that that's how the internet started. But it was, you know, um, people who were in universities trying to communicate with each other and trying to do something good. Um, so, you know, I think I was just very attracted to working with somebody like that who was a visionary and the fact that um, he'd been recognized by a prime minister at the time um, as a pioneer of the Canadian internet. I was just very attracted to working with somebody like that. Um, didn't know where things were going to go. Um, and honestly, you know, it was like, this, this is exciting. Um, we knew there was going to be a huge opportunity for .ca with the, with the rules being liberalized. Um, but let's go for it and see what happens. Um, and things happened. What did you think back then and, and now even the purpose of the, the .ca was and is? Has it changed? Was it, is it simply to delineate between a, you know, Canadian property and, and, a, and otherwise um, back then and yeah. now? What's your answer to that? Yeah, so I think .ca still has a lot of value, as you say, to delineate between um, a Canadian business or an entity or an individual. Um, from all the other choices that are out there. Um, I mean, .com um, is obviously um, still king, and for um, a, a multinational organization, you, sh- you should have your .com, um, and if it's still available. Um, most of the good names, unfortunately, in the .com world, especially the short ones, are all gone. Yeah. And if you wanted to buy it in the, what we call the aftermarket, it's, it can be extremely expensive. Um, and then that's why ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Sign Names and Numbers, um, ICANN for short, they um, opened up the rules back in 2012 to allow um, basically anybody to own their own um, domain name. 
So little did they realize that um, when you open things up, entrepreneurs were going to basically jump in and they received 1930 applications for different domain extensions. And um, I mean, I remember the first one, I think that came out um, from a company that by the name of Donuts. Yeah. Um, the first one uh, that came out under the GTLD, the generic top level domain space was um, .bike. Okay. And then, you know, things just started to, to release over the years. And that's why we, we offer over 800 of these domain extensions today. But .ca, I still feel, has so much value because it is reserved for Canadians. And um, if you're a Canadian business, you should definitely have your .ca because even if you have um, the U.S. Um, division or you have um, services around the world, um, if you have Canadian customers, it demonstrates to your Canadian customers that um, you're going to be paying Canadian currency, that um, you know when you're shipping products that you're not going to have to pay for um, the duties and those types of things as they have to come over the border because you're demonstrating that you're a Canadian business. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of value there and um, there are Canadian presence rules, um, both for registrars and for, um, and for the registrants, the individuals who, and the businesses who register their .ca's. Um, so if you're not Canadian, you shouldn't have a .ca. And I think um, it feels, I guess, for some people a little bit protectionist, but I think being Canada, we have such a small population population that we should have, um, you know, we should have that something that is our own and demonstrates um, the trust and, and the value of being Canadian. Yeah. Talked about those vanity domain extensions, yeah. right, which they've been come to known as. And um, what is that still something, was it a fad? Is it still something that you think is going to grow because yeah. the dot coms and dot CAs are being swept up and have been swept up so quickly mm -hmm. is that just the way the domain needs to go to allow for new entrants and registrants as you speak yeah so um it's it's interesting because when you talk about the vanity domains um some of the cctlds the country code um, top level domains over the years prior to this big launch in 2012 yeah. Um, have been used um, for for that purpose. So like dot, dot us, right? Not yeah, dot US. exactly. <laughs> um, and then um, dot dot io. Um, right. I think they've done a phenomenal job um, in marketing it to um, early people. startup tech yeah. companies because io is actually Indian Ocean, and okay, most people don't realize that. that. But it sounds kind of cool. You've yeah. got a, a short name company that's yeah. Yeah, dot io and. People go, oh yeah, cool tech yeah. company, but yeah. it's actually Indian Ocean. Because it's input output, right? That's what it's yeah, supposed to stand yeah. for. World. Yeah. yeah, and then TV is actually Tuvalu. Okay, right? so wow. it's not actually television. <laughs> so there, there's some neat little things that um, some of these countries and maybe they don't have, have the same type of, type of rules to, to protect against people. Uh, exactly. Swoop them up, yeah. Yeah, and I think with um, with the island of Tuvalu, um, it was kind of their their big industry like selling their right. .tv domain name right because okay. it's such a small population there um, but with these new um, TLDs that came out um, there were well over a thousand of them that are out there now um, ranging from .ninja to um, .yoga and so forth and there's some kind of like fun ones like that um, but there are some that are very niche, like um, dot law or dot lawyer um, for the legal industry. 
Dot um, film is one of those too. Yeah. I was looking at it the other day, and mm -hmm. you can't actually uh, register it unless you have proof that you're for the film industry. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it serves a specific purpose, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Dot Eco, um, they're all also locals here um, from Vancouver. They won the Dot okay. Eco bid, which was nice to see. Um, and uh, you know, they they have run um, basically Dot Eco in what we call a sponsored um, domain space where. Um, you, know, you have to have something to do with, um, you know, being environmentally friendly and so forth in order to get your, your domain. And um, I think they've done a, a pretty good job in reserving that space for that purpose. Okay, so back to what uh, WebNames does uh, mm -hmm. as, as a business. Um, you know, you're talking about the, the .ca being important for, for Canadian businesses to show their clients and customers that they're... Canadian and that they can be trusted to, to be in Canada and operate in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, webnames.ca has a .ca for a specific reason, I'm assuming. Yeah. And, and then I wonder if part of that is, you know, with all the talk about privacy and data protection these days and, and all the, you know, the, you know, the glitches and breaches we've had in the, in the last several years, how important is it for, for you to, um, to be a Canadian company um, operating in Canada and how important do you think it is for customers to know that they're operating with a Canadian in with their data? And, and is, mm -hmm. is, is, you know, from start to finish, does WebNames sort of keep that data when it comes to hosting in Canada yeah. or, or is it, you know, also overseas as well? Yeah, no, all of our data is here in Canada and that is how um, we, we market. Um, you know, our, our customer base is predominantly Canadian. Um, we have some um, you know, multinational organizations and big brands that are with us and Fortune 500 companies, um, but uh, the majority of our, our customers are still Canadian, um, and that's why we're very protective of um, our, our namesake, webnames.ca. And um, you know, the data, we, we take a lot of pride in keeping all of our data here um, in Canada, and um, you know, that is how we market it in terms of um, keeping your data within the country, it's not subject to the Patriot Act, um, and it's subject to Canadian laws, not American yeah. laws. Has that always been a priority for you, or is that yeah. kind of ramped up in the last uh, few years? Or no, not? it's been a priority for us since day one. Um, mm -hmm. So we've been in business for 19 years. Um, we basically kept uh, webnames.ca as our, our brand. Um, we have been very proud um, to be um, Canadian, 100% Canadian owned. Um, we don't outsource, um, whereas a lot of co our competition, um, I realize there it's a lot cheaper to um, you know have developers or um, you know call centers in um, other countries like the Philippines or in in Russia and so forth and Indonesia. But uh, you know, we take pride very much in the security of the data of our uh, customers, and we want to be employing Canadians. So from day one, we've always employed Canadians and um, we've always made it a policy not to outsource. Yeah, so I, I was uh, watching a video uh, about the core values at webnames.ca and one of yeah. them was the, the service and the, the excellence mm -hmm. in service. And um, I'm assuming that's one of the ways you, you, know, you market and differentiate from your competitors is yeah. that you know, Canadian-based service, that quick service. Um, but I, I still wonder, uh, with the big names that we've talked about, um, you know, how it's been so long and you've still been able to survive competing with those, you know, big players. Mm -hmm. You know, what's, what's the secret? How, how have you been able to compete yeah. with these big players 
and their big marketing dollars and and I'm sure other advantages that comes along with you know being one of those big players and not that you're not but yeah. you know what's the struggle been like and then how have you been able to overcome that struggle yeah so um, differentiation is through um, a couple of things and number one is our core values and um, you know our core values we have three of them and um, first and foremost is to amaze every customer with exceptional service um, number two is to always be improving and number three is to make a positive difference and uh, we don't just say these words, um, we live and we believe in it. And um, these core values are in giant red letters on okay. our wall. And for each and every office that we've moved to, um, that is the first thing that we move, right? So when we were hunting for a new office space, the first question was, do we have a wall big enough for our giant red letters of our core values to be put back up on the wall again? Um, before thinking about furniture placement or anything like that, you know, we need room for our core values. Right. Um, and that means when people come in, they interview with us, um, they walk in the door, they see the core values. When we have meetings and we talk about, should we be doing this or should we be doing that? We always go back to whether these decisions are aligned to our, our core values. And if they don't, then that's the decision that we don't do. Um, so everything that we do, we li live and breathe our core values. And uh, when we talk about, um, you know, our, our quarterly um, employee awards, um, same thing. Um, you know, who within the company has um, gone above and beyond and live our core values and therefore should be deserving of our employee the quarter award. So everything we do, um, we, we talk core values first and foremost. Yeah. And then sort of, has that been enough? Because obviously the, the product, I don't, I don't know, does it differentiate a whole lot between your competitors? It seems to be, you know, quite yeah. similar, right? In the domains and the email and the hosting. Mm -hmm. um, has the core values been enough or has there been, you know, marketing or other things that you've done that yeah. have helped, uh, you know, set you apart from maybe the U.S. international counterparts right. that you have? Yeah, so um, domain names on their very own are a commodity. Mm -hmm. So um, the core values definitely help because um, that translates into um, retention of amazing people and therefore um, these amazing people who've been with us for, you know, 10, 15, up to 19 years with me, um, you know, deliver that exceptional service to our customers. So. If you were to talk to any of our customers, that is the first thing that they will say. Yeah, web names, they'll actually answer the phone within 60 seconds. They'll pick up and you can let, um, talk to a live person. And that's something that our, our customers really value. And it makes sense. I mean, I, I think of myself and I bought a, my first domain name with yeah. GoDaddy and I haven't switched since. And I don't yeah. know why I haven't switched. It's just comfortable staying there so if right. you provide service on top of that yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it goes a long way right yeah so besides the service though and, and and honestly like a part of our business we go head to head with GoDaddy on um, the retail um, side of our business is what we call it so um, small businesses and individuals who would buy a domain name and and um, a hosting account maybe a few emails here and there but a big part of our business is actually, um, we call our, our corporate services. And it's completely different than what um, GoDaddy offers. Right. So um, these are large Canadian corporations typically that have um, huge domain portfolios. So there are companies out there 
um, that register hundreds, if not thousands or tens of, tens of thousands of domain names. And they um, require some management of those domain portfolios. So, um, you know, they may have to do bulk DNS changes in the, in the evenings. And we have staff that will sit up with them at two o'clock in the morning and handhold that process to make sure there's no downtime. Um, we have very specific ways of handling um, invoicing um, that are tied to the needs and the accounting um, systems of large corporations, um, government and um, municipalities and so forth. Um, we deal a lot as well with um, the uh, universities and schools and, and so forth that also have fairly unique needs of um, how they do business. So we, that's a big part of our business and that's a very profi profitable part of our business. Right. Um, that GoDaddy, um, you know, they don't offer that level of service, so it's completely different. So as you were saying, part of the webnames.c story is the fact that you know, you're a serial entrepreneur and then, you know, you kind of met John and, and have gone on this journey together. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is it that makes you a serial entrepreneur? What is it about you that is interested in starting businesses and, you know, making them successful? Yeah, um, I think I'm just very naturally um, aligned with um, you know seeing opportunity in in um, everything around me so that is actually a challenge because if you're an entrepreneur typically you will see opportunities everywhere and um, sometimes focus is a little bit difficult so um, I think I, I, I suppose I've got the discipline of actually um, you know hunkering down and uh, running the business, but I'm also very, um, you know, cognizant that you know, if I start to um, get bored um, on on certain things, I'm not the person to like, now go into the detail. I'm more involved in the strategic part of the business, and I have amazing people um, in um, the company that run the day to day that allow me to do a lot of different things where um, I'm bringing value to the company um, in terms of trust and credibility and so forth. I do a lot of speaking and all of that where, um, you know, I don't have to be there day to day to, um, you know, make sure that the, the finances right. are, are um, the bills are being paid and um, that our, our customers are happy. We have amazing people who, um, you know, are awesome at what they do. And that's what they're charged to do, and they're way better at it than I am. So, as as a co-founder, did you jump right into the CEO role when things started up, or did it take some time? Yeah, it took some time actually. Um, so, I started out being um, very shy and behind the scenes, and I didn't want to be the face of the organization. It took me a number of, of years to really um, come into my own leadership style and to really um, feel the confidence to be able to lead the team. Um, I think, you know, I was always thinking of myself as the workhorse behind the scenes doing all the work and I'd stay up all night long and not sleep. But um, I never wanted to be the face of the company. Um, yeah, a lot of the time with CEOs that just comes um, with the, the territory of wanting to run the company. That's just and almost an afterthought, right? Exactly. Just let's just get the work done. Yeah. Um, and then what I realized was being a woman in technology, that um, you know I was getting a lot of media attention, and because the company was growing, and um, the media wanted to talk to me, 
Um, I had a couple of male um, partners that um, the media kept coming to me and then um, a lot of the speaking opportunities um, started coming and I was terrified of public speaking um, but kind of pushed myself to do more and more and more of it where I mean today I'm probably speaking at 30 or 40 speaking engagements a year if not more. Right. So what, what's the difference between being a woman working in tech and a woman CEO in tech now mm -hmm. it was when you, when you first uh, took reins as CEO? Yeah. Um, I mean, what are some of the experiences that you had and, and how are you different today than you were back then? Yeah, things have changed a lot. Um, in the beginning, uh, there were very few women in um, the tech space. Today, um, there are a whole lot more and we are having the conversations today out there that there aren't enough women in technology. Back then, that is just the way it was. Right. And um, nobody talked about it. And uh, it was one of those things that um, you, you kind of accepted or, you know, go, go do something else. Um, the other thing that, um, you know, I think I, I realized was, um, you know, there were a lot of things that I just kind of accepted. Um, and I don't regret it at all because I actually feel when people ask me, so, you know, you must have gone through a lot of obstacles and challenges in order to get to where you are as a woman in technology and said, that's true. But on the other hand, um, I just feel I'm blessed in, in the fact that um, I've had to go through and kind of fight my way a little bit um, into um, the industry that um, it's made me stronger and more resilient. Um, and honestly, as a female, um, you know, I tell the younger female entrepreneurs today is, you know, when you're in a room and it's a hundred guys and it's you and a handful of women, guess who gets all the attention? Right. So don't look at it as an obstacle, look at it as an advantage um, and, and use it. Yeah. Um, you know, don't, don't always think of everything as a challenge and um, you know, how are you going to turn that around and, and use it to your own advantage. Yeah. So, um, but I've, I've had experiences where you know, I'd walk into a room with a male partner and automatically I was looked at as either the spouse or the executive assistant of the male partner until they realize I'm the CEO. Um, and that still happens sometimes today um, where somebody will automatically think, oh, oh, so what's your role? Do you do HR or you know, are you in marketing? And um, because those are typically like even in the technology side of things, um, the typical female, considered right. the female roles and very few um, women um, that are actually doing the coding, the development systems, um, or even in the tech support. Um, and that, and it, it is true. Um, when we hire for those roles, um, very few women are still applying today. Um, but the industry's changed. Um, you know, we don't do, uh, you know, even uh, maybe it was six or seven years ago, there were industry events at the Playboy Mansion and um, you know, showgirls walking around and the women at the booths were considered booth babes. Um, that, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, and when you go to an industry event, um, there's a more equal representation of women speaking on panels instead of um, all men. Um, and there have been many industry events where it's not a single woman on a panel. 
um, and today that's changed dramatically. Yeah, and so as you're illustrating that, that mindset has changed, but I'm curious to, to hear your answer as to, to why it's important for that outside of you know, just having gender equality at, at mm -hmm. a base level, you know, yeah. what, what's, you know, what can that gender equality bring to the table in terms of what companies can then do? Is there yeah. an answer to that that you have in mind? Oh, there, there's definitely an answer. I mean, um, there are many, many studies out there um, you know, that having better diversity, and it's not just gender, but um, ethnicity and, and whatever else, like how you talk, how we all talk about um, you know, diversity and inclusion today. Um, is really about bringing more, um, you know, different types of thinking um, to the table, right? If you have all men um, who are all white of all the same age group, um, you're only probably going to get um, a fairly narrow stream of thought. And there are studies today that demonstrate that um, the more diversity and more women on a board of an organization is not just the right thing to do, that it is the smart and financially um, better thing to do because it serves the companies better. They're financially more profitable um, and more successful by having more women um, on their boards and in their senior executive teams. So you said that you are speaking 30 to 40 times a <laughs> yeah. year. Uh, what do you find yourself talking about most? Is, is it tech related or is it more of what we're talking about right now or what is it? And what do you yeah. want to talk about the most? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, a lot of the, the conversations, um, you know, was, you know, tech, a lot of them talking to um, younger entrepreneurs or students and so forth. So I do um, quite, quite a large number of speaking engagements for that purpose. Um, and just sharing experiences of being an entrepreneur and, um, you know, being the, just the entrepreneurial journey, which is something that um, I get asked to speak to, um, to quite a bit. Um, I was recently asked to um, you know, lecture at um, the Schuick School of Business for the International MBA program at York University. And that was such an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, these students are the top minds um, in, in their home countries and um, some of them are from Canada as well and to bring all these people together in one room in a small cohort of about 35 people. Um, you know, some of them came from super senior positions um, either in government or in business and um, you know, they just wanted to hear my entrepreneurial journey and I shared some of my ideas around that. Um, that was that was fun and such an awesome experience, um, but I do like speaking to young entrepreneurs and to students. And then on the other side, um, I do do a lot of talking about um, you know not necessarily gender equality, but um, I think these days more about the imposter syndrome, okay. which um, is an article that um, I wrote about. Um, I guess it would have been 2017. Yeah. Um, so what happened was um, I was um, chosen as one of the um, top 100 most powerful women in Canada. And this was probably, um, I would say, eight, eight or nine years ago. And um, when I got the phone call, I actually thought somebody had made a mistake. And I thought, wow, you know, um, you know did somebody mess up somewhere, it must have been a computer error, um, but I went to the event in Toronto and there was 1,400 people at this event 
and you just imagine like you know a hundred type A personality women all lining up to go into this giant room and uh, the music's blasting and the champagne's flowing. We walk into this room and everybody's doing a standing ovation and clapping. And then we had to walk up on stage and I'm on the front row, right? And yeah. um, Lisa Listen, who is uh, the, the, she's the CEO of FedEx Canada. She grabbed my hand and she's <laughs> dancing with me. And then we go and sit down and I'm sitting beside Christine McGee and on the other side, Jacqueline Chan. Um, so Christine McGee's Sleep Country right. Canada, Jacqueline Chan um, invented Cold FX. Oh wow. So um, I thought, wow, <laughs> what am I doing here? There's you know, FedEx and all these amazing companies. And then Margaret Atwood walks out oh, and wow. she's, she's doing the keynote and she's also a winner of the award. And I thought, oh, what am I doing here? And I actually felt almost embarrassed that I didn't, I didn't feel like I deserved to be there. Um, but then I ended up winning the award four times. Yeah. And when you win the award four times, they induct you into the Hall of Fame. And um, even then, as I was going up on stage to accept my award and my video was playing, I just kept thinking, like, nobody knows who it's I am. Sure. Like, yeah. like, what's going on? And then I started talking to um, some of the other winners and other Hall of Fame inductees over the years. And, I started to realize that I wasn't the only person feeling that way. Like we were all feeling that way. So many of us, not, not all of us, but some of us were feeling that way. Um, and I decided to kind of look into this um, issue because like, why do so many women, you know, feel that we don't deserve to be there? Um, that we and don't even deserve. if it's women amongst women, right? Yeah, women amongst women. And, um, you know, some of these companies were huge companies of like huge banks. And um, I, I remember this one woman who was speaking to me and she was in a very senior role um, at one of the top banks in Canada. And she said, you know, Sibel, um, you know, I wish I had the guts to start my own business. Um, I worked my way up. Um, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and it just became my time. It was just promotion to promotion, but I never had the guts to do my own thing. So she was looking at me as, wow, you started your own business and you're so successful and she didn't deserve to be there. She was diminishing her own accomplishments. Whereas on the flip side, I'm looking at her thinking, wow, she leads this massive com company. Um, you know, that, that I didn't deserve to be there. So we were doing it ourselves, to, to ourselves. Um, so I wrote this article and it was published in Business in Vancouver um, about the imposter syndrome. Um, and then uh, all these speaking engagements came as a result of that. Um, everybody wanted me to come and talk about my experience and, um, you know, feeling like an imposter because I declared um, openly in that article that day that, you know, this is my deepest, darkest secret and I am the ultimate imposter because I'm um, the CEO and founder of a tech company and I don't have a tech background. Do you still feel that today at, at points in time or have yeah, you gone past that? Yeah, at, at points. Um, so I actually just wrote a, a second article, follow-up um, article to basically delve into it a little bit more. Um, now that it's two years past that article, I've spoken about it. I've spoken to so many people about it who have now written to me who are PhDs and so forth. 
um, Dr. Valerie Young, who wrote the book about the imposter syndrome. I actually had to open for her one day <laughs> and be the keynote opening for the woman who wrote the book on the imposter syndrome. So think about the imposter syndrome of yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably a little bit of that there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, um, you know, we, we totally got, got on and we're actually going to be meeting again soon. But, um, you know, it's one of those topics that um, I think it, it resonates with a lot of people. And what I've realized um, is that, you know, you, you go through stages in life where it's actually okay to be a little bit scared, right? Like, in fact, I tell people now that I do things that I'm afraid of um, at least once a week. Yeah, um, speaking in front of a video mm -hmm. and um, speaking in public was not my natural place to be. In fact, I was so scared of it, I dropped out of commerce at UBC um, to avoid public speaking. Um, but, you know, challenging yourself and stepping out of your, your comfort zone to do something that you're afraid of, um, you know, consistently um, helps you become uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, um, you know, I try to do that um, quite a bit today. And I think that's um, helped me. But of course, like I still, like with everything that I do, um, when I go to that next challenge, I start to have those feelings creep up again. Um, so when I joined a board um, a couple of years ago and it was, um, you know, the, a pretty major um, national board, um, I, again, you know, I went there and I thought, wow, I don't really deserve to be here. Um, all these seasoned board members, um, you know, what do I do? So I got prepared. I read, um, I think it was like seven years of financial statements and everything that was archived. Um, I, I spent days and probably weeks studying the material before my orientation day. And then during orientation day, I just like I was taking notes um, and paid attention to almost every single word that was said to make sure that I was fully prepared to um, add value, um, which I feel now that I am um, for sure that, um, you know, I, I learned every part of that business, um, you know, during the first few months because I didn't want to take like two years to to get to know the organization and then be able to give back. Um, so I think now that's another part of my strategy is, um, you know, if you feel that, uh, you know, you don't belong and you don't deserve to be there, well, get prepared, you know, make sure that you you can deliver. I'm sure a lot of our, our audience uh, viewers and listeners in hearing, you know, parts of your entrepreneurial journey um, you know, dropping out of commerce at UBC and, you know, the, the starting up in tech there and um, pharmacy, as you talked about, I've been able to glean a lot, but, um, you know, what, maybe what's up with, with maybe it being really easy to, to want and think of starting up a business right now these days, um, not necessarily getting the financial means to do so, but what advice can you give to, to people who are starting their own businesses today and in that mm -hmm. startup phase and then feeling those feelings of, uh, maybe not belonging or, or just, you know, not necessarily knowing whether they're going to succeed or not. What type of advice can you give them? Yeah, um, I think you should look within yourself and um, try to determine whether you are um, a true entrepreneur or not. Um, I think there is a very low barrier to entry nowadays to um, starting your own business. 
Um, you know, I see many startups starting and a lot failing. Um, and people don't realize how hard it is because it's glamorized, right? Like it's, it, it seems so great when you hear the success stories of all these people who have gone out there um, and built these amazing businesses that sound awesome. Um, what you don't see behind the scenes are all the multiple failures before that, all the sleepless nights, um, the, the true blood, sweat and tears that goes into building a business and, um, you know, times when, you know, companies are feeling that they can't make payroll, um, you know, many companies are financed and they're losing their runway and they know they probably can't survive for another month. Like those gut-wrenching feelings that um, an employee of a company never has to feel because they're there doing their work and they could be doing amazing work, but they don't have to think about that. Whereas the, the business owner has to do all of that and think of the strategy, how to move forward, but at the same time, um, you know, it's not just their own paycheck, it's the paycheck um, and the responsibility of having all these staff and their families to feed as well. Um, you know, it's, it's way harder than um, most people think it is. Um, so I love it when there are people out there talking about their failures because it helps to demonstrate that, um, you know, it's not all roses, right? It, it is so hard to um, run a business and to run a successful business that is long term. Um, you know, I, I know so many businesses that, um, you know, have to sell. They don't have a choice um, to keep going because, um, you know, they take in investors pretty early on. Um, and the investors, um, you know, after you know, close to 10 years, they're like, okay, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> no more is coming. Um, you have to be growing at three times, um, you know, at 3x um, every year. And that's what investors are expecting. And if you're not growing at that rate, it's easy when you're going from, you know, 5,000 to 15,000 to, um, you know, 60,000, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, once you're into the millions, you know, to 3x is way harder and it gets progressively harder. And, um, you know, so many of the companies, especially in particular in Canada, they have to sell to a bigger American company. Um, you know, we've had lots of offers and um, I've, I've declined many of them, um, all of them so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, just because um, I want to keep webnames.ca Canadian and, um, you know, keep, keep, the staff here in Canada, um, and if we get swallowed up by a big American company, um, you know, I, I know um, they're not going to keep the web names brand, and they're yeah. probably not going to keep any of the staff. So it's important to me to kind of uphold that legacy that John built, um, you know, so many years ago. And, um, you know, as the stewards of .ca in the beginning, um, I just feel it's important to keep things going here in Canada. Absolutely. And if I'm hearing you correctly, um, to entrepreneurs, it's be willing to put in the work Absolutely. because there's no way, uh, no yeah. other way to do it. Yeah, it's the work and the resiliency. So, yeah. um, you know, when when things are super tough, do you have, um, you know, do you have what it takes to pick yourself up keep going. and to keep going? Yeah. Um, and and a lot of people don't.
-hmm. Well, this has been amazing. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? This is, I'm, I'm sure, like I said, there's so much that people can take away from you know a lot of our audience, small businesses, you know, looking to grow and coming to us for marketing advice. But uh, the yeah. business advice is, is just as important, if not more important. So, yeah. anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, well, I mean, get your .ca. I mean, yeah. if you're Canadian, get your .ca domain name. And um, there are lots and lots of resources out there for those that want to start their um, businesses in um, Canada. Um, Small Business BC here um, locally um, in British Columbia. Um, female entrepreneurs should go to fwe.ca. Um, there are so many resources available for the startup community. I know across Canada, Startup Canada has done a pheno phenomenal job as well. Um, you know, Futurepreneur for um, those that are um, under the age of 39. Um, they have a national network as well. So lots and lots of resources for those that are starting up. Perfect. Well, Savelle yeah. Negris from webnames.ca, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and, you. Um, Enjoy Fort Langley for the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up and visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again and see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.